From the Panchatantra In a certain place there lived a Brahmin named Haridatta. He was a farmer, but a very poor man. At the end of one long hot day, overcome by the heat, he lay down under a tree to take a nap. Suddenly he saw a great hooded snake creeping out of an anthill close to him. So he thought to himself, Sure, this is the guardian deity of this field, and I have not yet worshipped it. That's why my farming is in vain. I will at once go and pay my respects. When he had made up his mind, he got some milk, poured it into a bowl, and went to the anthill and said aloud, O guardian of this field, all this while I did not know that you dwelt here. That is why I have not yet paid my respects to you. Pray forgive me. And he laid the milk down and went to his house. The next morning he came back and looked, and he saw a gold dinar in the bowl. And from that time onward, every day the same thing occurred. He gave milk to the serpent and found one gold dinar. One day the Brahmin had to go to the village, and so he ordered his son to take the milk to the anthill. The son brought the milk, put it down, and went back home. The next day he went again and found that dinar. So he thought to himself, oh, This anthill is surely full of golden dinars. I'll kill the serpent and take them all for myself. So the next day, while he was giving the milk to the serpent, the Brahmin's son struck it on the head with a rock. But the serpent escaped death by the will of fate, and in a rage he bit the Brahmin's son with his sharp fangs until he fell down dead at once. His people raised him a funeral pyre, not far from the field, and burnt him to the ashes. Two days afterwards, his father came back, and when he learned his son's fate, he grieved and mourned for a little while. But after a time, he took the bowl of milk, went to the anthill, and praised the serpent with a loud voice. After a long, long time, the serpent appeared, but only with his head out of the opening of the anthill, and he spoke to the Brahmin. "'Tis greed that brings you here." and makes you even forget the loss of your son. From this time forward, friendship between us is impossible. Your son struck me in youthful ignorance, and I have bitten him to death. How can I forget the blow with a stone? And how can you forget the pain and the grief at the loss of your own son? So speaking, it gave the Brahmin a costly pearl and disappeared. But before it went away, it said, don't come back here again. The Brahmin took the pearl and went back home, cursing the folly of his son. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm a storyteller, an independent artist, and a tremendous lover of nature. So much so that I'll live with a black snake in my house. It's time to sit back, relax, and relieve your mind for a little while of what chaos is going on in the world and listen to me talk about one of the most commonly feared reptiles, snakes. There's a general consensus. Not everyone thinks so, but it's common 
that snakes are evil, creepy, scary, and always dangerous. They're the bad guy in almost every story, but I want to take on the more interesting side of them and try to take some of this evil factor out of it. Snakes are actually very enlightening. Now, I'm not going to paint them to be Disney characters. They're certainly not. This is an animal that demands respect. I saw this ridiculous video. You see a million ridiculous videos these days, but this one, a bear decided to visit some guy's property, and the guy decided it would be a good idea in chasing this bear away to take his foot and kick the bear in the rear. Of course, it ended really badly. The guy's not dead, but he got attacked. And this is an example of not respecting an animal that's a little more dangerous than we are. We need weapons. They've got built-in artilleries. So always respect the snake. You don't always know what you're dealing with in the heat of the moment. And things happen fast in the wild world. One of the biggest reasons behind the mass fear of snakes is that it's really hard to figure out if you're walking up on a venomous one or not. So always approach it like the snake is venomous. Even the categorized non-venomous snakes do have some venom in them. Ah, oh, that's a tongue twister. It's just a smaller amount and it generally won't do that much damage. Garter snakes, for example, most of them do have venom. It's just not intense enough or there's not enough of it to do anything past swelling up your arm, or if it bites an infant, making the baby feel sick for a while. So that's the first thing. Understand that every snake has a venomous defense system. And the next fear is that we're going to get attacked regardless if we walk up on a snake. Most of the time, snakes are going to see you first, and they're going to get out of your way. They don't want to stand off unless you're dealing with a black mamba or an anaconda or something. There are not very many species of snake in the world that is naturally aggressive and is going to come after you. Most of them prefer to hide. Stay out of sight. They don't want to be anywhere near humans. It gets risky if you either surprise them, which is hard to do, or purposely go in straight at them. They'll see that as an aggressive move and they'll defend themselves. They're not wimps. Or if you try to catch them, they don't like that either. Normally, it's pretty sufficient if you see one to just stop and let it go on its way. Now, if you're cornered by a venomous snake, a rattlesnake, let's say, and you know it's going to try to strike, stand really still, don't move, Try to calm down. You're sending off chemical signals of fear and defense. I know that fear is hard to control, but think of it as just being surprised. And you will usually have a minute to weigh this kind of situation because the snake will stop too. The snake will assess the situation, whether or not you're going to be a threat. If you freeze and very, very slowly... Just like the movements of another snake, slowly and meticulously move away or back off, you'll give the snake a chance to go away. If you keep this foreboding presence, or if you attempt to get closer, 
it will bite you. And now this next bit of information is where we can start to understand snake meetings a little better. Snakes don't have the best vision if you're comparing it to how we see things, which is with more light and shadow interpretation. A snake likes to see with this unique sense. It's got infrared vision. They can detect the body heat of an animal up to one yard or one meter away. This sense kicks in when the snake detects a body temperature of at least 82 degrees Fahrenheit or 28 degrees Celsius. So a person is definitely in the range for a snake to pick up on. That means if you walk into a a space or a room with a snake, the snake's going to see you regardless if you're standing behind something or not. They don't need their eyes. And that's why they'll always know that you're there before you know they are. And now with this information, you know that the only way to surprise a snake or make it feel threatened is if you're moving up on it really, really fast. Because when you get within a yard of it or a meter, it's going to see your body heat. And if you're going really fast, you're just suddenly there right in its face. It will surprise the snake. Now think like a snake for a second. If you suddenly see a giant glob of body heat coming at you really fast, what are you going to do? You're going to feel threatened. Here's basically a force field of a huge hot creature coming straight at you. That's scary. That's the snake's perspective. But if you're just walking along a trail at a normal pace... And you're making sounds, especially vibrations on the ground. The snake is going to have time to see you and know you're coming and it'll go hide. You'll pass by each other and you'll never even know it was there. They are connected to the ground. They feel every vibration and they sense all the heat around them. I have a small black snake who's living in my well room. That's where I keep all my tools and things. And I know his general area and where he's usually hiding. I've seen him a couple of times in there, and and there's not many places to hide in that room because I've, I've kept it really cleaned out. But he'll be chilling, and I'll open the door, and I'll walk in slowly, look around, spot him, and I've noticed that I have to move forward and inside that area where he can detect that I've actually come into the room at least a yard away from him and then he'll move slowly and strategically backwards back into his little corner and wait for me to leave we have a strange relationship I almost think of him as a roommate at this point he kills all my mice and he keeps all the poisonous snakes away from my house And so it's almost like he pays his rent. You know, we're cool. I like black snakes. They're my favorite species of snake. They're not dangerous, and they kill poisonous snakes. They keep rats away. They're helpful and gorgeous. That strong black color is so shiny and beautiful to look at. And their underside is usually this nice white speckled color mixture that looks like cookies and cream. I think they're pretty snakes. Now humans have some really cool unique senses too. We're not exempt from having some interesting skills. We have around 20 or so senses 
And the only ones anybody ever talks about are those main five that are more obvious. But we can do all sorts of things. Most of the senses that keep us alive are very subtle. For instance, we have peripheral chemoreceptors. That means, for an example of what chemoreceptors do, we can detect carbon monoxide compounds, which triggers a reflex, which produces a feeling of suffocation. And if we're awake and experiencing that feeling, we can do something about it. We can move ourselves to open air and find oxygen before we die. That's an actual sense. These chemoreceptors, they're amazing. This is how we're able to quote-unquote know somebody's up to something before they do anything. Or what some people like to call listening to their gut. And why you get a funny feeling in your stomach that usually makes your body physically react to something that you don't trust. What we're actually doing is using that chemoreceptor sense and identifying chemical pheromone compounds that somebody else is sending off when their motives or their feelings change. We have magnetoception, just like the birds do. We can detect direction based on the Earth's magnetic field. Some of us are better at it than others, but it's there. We have a sense of space. We can feel the pressure of air changing around us and know whether or not something is lurking anywhere near us or even if we are just close to an inanimate object. This sense is heightened and exercised more when somebody loses their eyesight. We are just as capable of functioning very well like this as any wild animal that's been doing it all its life. We just have the tendency to get lazy. And that lack of motivation or lack of need, coupled with not feeding our bodies the chemical compounds and vitamins it needs, is what keeps us from being able to do this as well as we could. If you're eating a lot of stuff that's bad for you, you're going to be damaging your chemoreceptors, and that's going to keep you from being sensitive to these abilities. The ability to detect people's motives, detect whether or not someone's lying to you. It weakens your natural defense system. And then Christine mingled her way into the psychological and spiritual side of snake world. Of course I'm going to go there. Because snakes have really made an impression on a lot of different cultures and societies over the years. They're just so different in the way they function and so regenerative. They're fascinating. The shedding of skin they do has been associated with astral travel and out-of-body experiences. The Egyptians associated them with immortality. The Celts, especially the Druidic sect, leaders and teachers, associated the snake with spiritual wisdom and healing. And when St. Peter drove the snakes out of Ireland, he was bragging about running the Druids off, the spiritual leaders of the old ways in which people believed at the time. And then, of course, there's the better-known Judeo-Christian belief system where they viewed the snake as a bad thing, associated with the devil, the serpent who gave Eve knowledge, wisdom, for the common class, was always viewed as a negative thing back in the day. 
but things were a little different back then. A lot of that negativity snakes symbolized revolved around sexuality. Snakes were long associated with sexuality and primal feelings. There are a lot of folk tales, actually, more than I realized when I was researching old stories of snakes. Folk tales about snakes who tried and always somehow were successful to marry some girl and get her living with him down under the water in some lake somewhere and have his snake babies. Such weird old tales. And all that comes from sexuality and mistrust and all the strangeness that we can't understand about this creature who functions so differently from us all throughout history. A snake is very grounded and connected to the earth. It feels vibrations and bases its decisions on those feelings and the heat that it detects around it. It's how it survives. And since it's so elusive, quiet, since it can wrap itself around and move in such feminine or slowly strategic ways, it's feared. It's evil. And there's another negative feature associated with women. The way a snake moves has a lot in common with very feminine movements. Careful, slower, very seductive. And all of this is just too close to what's real and primitive and earthly sensual for people to get past. You know, those are the things the mass general population has always been afraid of. A snake understands what's around it a little too well. And knowledge encourages independence. And we all know independence to the powers that be is anarchy. Now, I don't believe the majority of Christians today are so superstitious and ignorant that they believe the devil has entered their house if they come across a snake. We're not living in 1812 anymore. And I might be met with some resistance on that, that there's a lot of fear circling around right now. We're in the heat of the second stage of chaos right now here in the U.S., and people have a tendency to call out extremist groups and categorize everybody else having anything in common with those groups. Blame what's happening on them. And we're forgetting to evaluate each other on an individual level instead of by category. It's easy to believe that what we see and hear on the news is the only thing that's going on, the only people that exist, and that's not true. For example, I'm a white woman in the age range of a lot of extremely selfish white women who are all over the news right now doing some very ignorant and selfish things, giving the rest of us a very bad name. We're seeing some people acting real stupid, and so we're evaluating each other wrong. According to race, gender, political affiliation, the things that we're trying to fight against second stage of chaos. I'm a very spiritual person, and I believe in a higher power, but I don't subscribe to any of these organized belief systems. 
And so coming from the outside of all these things, I can and I'm willing to understand and listen to people on an individual basis and not categorize anybody before they've given me a reason to. And this is because I'm using all of my senses. I'm not paying attention to the news, for example, with just my eyes and my ears. It's flawed, and I don't want to rely on only five mundane senses. What I'm seeing is skewed, according to the sponsors who practically pay for a news channel to keep running. And I'm one person, one example of many, who are like the snake. We operate differently. And we use more than those common, easy senses to assess what's really going on. The world is not limited to those more psychologically damaged people who are all over YouTube and the news right now. Snakes can teach us something. They might represent evil in the Old Testament. And a lot of that's because there's a history of superstition at a time when people were not educated. And politics behind it. But this animal is a philosophical symbol of knowledge and how to use other abilities that you were born with in order to cut through all the lies and the confusion and really figure out what's going on around you so you can make better decisions and protect yourself. The wisdom and knowledge associated with snakes through history is feared by anybody trying to control you or keep you in line. And it's easy to scare people with a snake analogy because we've turned them into villains by tradition. They're easy to scare people with and therefore knowledge and independence becomes easy to be afraid of. If you're a manipulative person, do you want someone you're trying to control to wise up and figure out what your agenda is? Scare them with a snake analogy. Make them think they're evil for wanting knowledge. Going back to the very different way these animals function, they're cold-blooded and they use that weird infrared vision instead of eyes. As a matter of fact, when the snake sheds and rejuvenates itself, those eyes resemble the eyes of the dead. This is scary looking, and cold-blooded creatures are not so cuddly. It's just another thing that's not easy to associate with and relate to, because we're warm-blooded. We don't experience that side of life, but a snake's cold-blooded temperatures work in harmony with that infrared vision. They have to work at a low, low temperature in order to be able to detect the heat of other animals so well. Being cold-blooded doesn't mean that they're not making any heat at all. Snakes do make body heat, just not very much. It's very low. You know, there are a lot of uh, nocturnal species of snakes that can physiologically regulate their body temperature at nighttime and they're still active and they still hunt from sunset to sunrise. Normally temperatures outside need to be extremely cold in order to kill snakes. They'll hibernate in wintertime with other snakes to keep warm, staying underground where the temperature is maintained. And snakes are usually going to be living in climates that don't get, say, as cold as Siberia. But the term cold-blooded, it's antiquated. It's an old term. We know more now. 
but they're still strange animals. The quiet, slow, deliberate movements they make, it makes them intimidating. Instead of fearing them so much, though, it might prove more interesting to use them as a guide for sharpening our own skills, especially now in a time that's going down in history, as a time when people don't know how or where to find the truth anymore. Pay attention to your extra senses. You have them. We have strange, unorthodox skill sets and abilities that make us capable of cutting through all this mess and seeing the heat of what's really in front of us without relying on our ears and eyes or the news. This has been Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I want to give a huge shout out to my biggest supporters of this show and all their encouragement. Bruce Presson, Chris Nolan, Sheila McGregor, Arnold Bloom. Thank you to all my friends who have contributed to my virtual tip jar this week. I love every single one of you so much. I see your names coming in and I know who you are. I send you all a hug and a kiss and many, many protective blessings this week. Have a great weekend, everybody, and I'll talk to you again next Friday.